This episode of Strange Assembly is brought to you by www.l5rsearch.com. L5rsearch.com is a comprehensive online L5R card database with tools to assist in optimizing your decks, proxying cards, or simply finding out about unusual cards. Once you know what you need, www.l5rshop.com puts cards in your hands quickly and economically. This is Strange Assembly episode 111, Revolutions. I'm Chris Stevenson, and you're listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. I'm here today with Brian Reese, the lead designer for the Legend of the Five Rings CCG. Hey, Brian. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me on again. Hey, everybody. Hey. Well, Brian, since uh, we last spoke, there have been two Ivory Edition designer diaries that I'd like to ask you about, and the the first covered draft, and the second most recent one covered, uh, I guess, I think it was called Improvements to the Game. Yeah, just much more of a general topic. But I did have one question that wasn't about one of those that I said I was going to ask you, so let me do it now before I forget, which is... Why is Ivory Edition not just coming out this fall with Aftermath in in January? So, one of the things to remember is the plans when we put them into place uh, are about two to three years in advance. And you can certainly, obviously, they, they get adjusted as time goes. But when Aftermath hit the printers and was going, and by the time... Uh, actually, well, when Aftermath was getting started, it wouldn't have been enough time. Actually, I shouldn't say Aftermath, because it's really more Ivory Edition. We started on a- Ivory Edition in April of 2012, so just a few months after Emperor Edition released. And that is the schedule it takes to do a base set, uh, especially with the changes that we're making. So obviously at that point, one expansion into, uh, into Ivory, or excuse me, into Emperor Edition, we weren't quite yet aware of how Emperor Edition was ultimately going to be received in the end. So, I mean, we could have at that, or we could have once we realized that um, that people would want Ivory Edition to get here, you know, we could have bumped the schedule up three months, but then we would have had three months less to work on Ivory Edition. It would have been three months worse, if that makes sense. It does, and I, and I had thought about the lead time thing, but I was also thinking that, that normally it was a two-year, ske- two-year schedule, and Emperor Edition, although it ended up coming out at the beginning of the year, was originally supposed to come out at the end of the year. You know, the whole November release for the holidays or, right. or whatever. So was there a, a deliberate decision made at some point then to have Emperor not use that release? I mean, that's kind of why it, it came to mind, because if... Ivory Edition had actually come out two years after Emperor was supposed to come out, then it would have been a November 2013 release. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's when we had to delay Emperor as long as it got delayed. That just basically just adjusted our whole cycle back uh, that many months, and that's just going to become more uh, the more standard cycle now with the base that's releasing in the first quarter uh, instead of the previous fourth quarter. Okay. Let's move on to the draft. I've got more questions about the improvements to the game, but on on draft, uh, one of the things is you've talked about going forward 
booster packs are going to be 16 cards, and that's 15 normal cards, and then the the draft stronghold. My recollection from your interview with Jay and, and Mike at Gen Con was that there are still going to be premium cards. So does that mean that even though the draft stronghold is two-sided, that only one side of it's actually going to be depicted on any particular card, or how does that work? Yeah, the way it's going to come out is basically half... So you'll have your... When you open up your 16th card in that booster pack, it'll be some premium card, much akin to how it was in Emperor Edition. Then on the back of that, you'll have a draft stronghold, and then there's going to be two different draft strongholds. Uh, one with the going first stats, one with the going second stats. Um, it's it's a 50-50 mix, so ideally when you open up four packs, you'll get two of each, right? Maybe things will come out, and you'll get three of one, one of another. But you should ideally have both, uh, so you can then go ahead and play in your draft uh, in your draft event. But in the case that you only get one or the other, that's why we did specifically put reminder text on the stronghold itself to remind you of what the other side of the stats are. Um, so you could certainly just use the going first side, and just as a reminder, you know you've got plus one province strength, uh, or excuse me. Um, Right, you adjust the stats accordingly, depending on which one you have on whether you're going first or second. Either the extra one problem strength or two gold, or the inverse of that. Sure. One of the things that was mentioned in the draft design diary was that from Ivory Edition forward, even the expansion packs are going to be 16-card packs instead of the more traditional 11-card packs. Now, also, traditionally, while 11-card packs have been 48-card booster boxes, the Base sets, which were the only ones with the 15-card packs, were 36-pack booster boxes. Which pack count will expansion boxes feature in Ivory Edition? Nothing is set in stone right now, but it will. the The plan is, so unless things change, that it will be the same as the base set, which would be a 15-card pack plus the one premium slot, and then a 36-card booster box. Or excuse me, 36-pack booster box. And then that way, every, every expansion will be the same as the base set. It doesn't, you know, it's not 36 here, 48 there, 36. It's just always 36, always 16 cards in every expansion. Okay. You talked about a number of, of goals for how draft is going to be designed or cards are going to be designed for draft. And clearly with Gates of Chaos, you started doing things with draft in mind, but once I saw the de- the design diary, I immediately started looking at the Gates of Chaos Commons. Oh, are they starting to do this stuff with themes here? And it didn't seem like you were yet. Was that in there and I just missed it? Or is this something that we really aren't going to see in full until Ivory Edition itself? Uh, it really kicks in with Aftermath. And then it'll be the best going with Ivory Edition forward because you'll have the bigger size packs. Aftermath is still going to be the the standard 11-card booster packs, 48 packs to a box. Uh, it's going to have a few single bug cards, not really many, but there are going to be a couple, right, which obviously single bug cards being an Emperor Edition power level sort of messes things up when you're doing Ivory Edition drafts. But yeah, as far as what I was talking about in that draft, the themes, you'll start seeing that with Aftermath. Uh, it wasn't in Gates of Chaos. Gates of Chaos, it was still designed more or less under the old structures, but we had a playtest team. Uh, working on the set and playtesting the set. And so what you see out of Gates of Chaos is basically 
what a set will look like when you have a playtest team specifically testing the set for draft. Uh, what you'll see with Aftermath, and really in Ivory Edition, but you'll start seeing an Aftermath. You'll start seeing what happens when a set is designed for for draft with the teams obviously working on it. And then Ivory Edition is where you'll see it really get into full gear, where it's, it's quite obvious that Ivory Edition itself is the common slots, lots of the uncommon slots, or are very much in there and dedicated to make the best drafting experience possible. And that's not to say that they don't, you know, they don't function and they're not just fine and constructed. Many of them are going to be. But, uh, yeah, especially with the common slot, the draft is the primary purpose of that card. Okay. Now, that, that brings us to another thing, which is that you talked in the designer diary about how themes are going to interact with this. And basically there will be things like, for example, oh, that scouts is a common theme and we might see scouts across several clans and scout fate cards and then there will be other themes that are are more rare themes because that instead of just the different themes being shifted all across rarities but different rarities often you know mean different things as well you know some people would say rares tend to be more powerful even if you set that aside rares tend to be set as you know flashy cards or complicated cards those tend to be more likely to be rares so how does that interact with the themes are we going to have i guess to make an extreme example are we going to have oh here are scouts it's a bunch of simplistic cards that aren't very strong so they work in draft environment and then this is the theme you'll actually really want to play because it's got all the fancy rare powerful cards right yeah there's that uh there was that question i'm glad you asked so i can address it so as we've talked about with ivory edition and as we talked about in that design diary we're working towards being a lot more open with our cards. So instead of keywords being a restriction on playing the card, keyword is a kicker for having the right card. So I think you'll see a lot more variance in decks. So I might have a scout deck, but that doesn't mean that I won't still be playing with plenty of, of powerful rare cards in that scout deck. Now my personalities with the scout keyword are going to be commons and uncommons mostly. But that doesn't mean that I won't have rare personalities that are just good. So if we have the Crab Clan, right, I, there will be plenty of just good, rare, generic Crab Clan personalities that will work in my deck. And I can put them in my deck because I don't have to have every single person to be a scout because the fake cards in my deck don't have to be a scout in order to be used. So there, so there will be some, there will be some degree to that to where, taking the scout example, you will have uh, somewhat uh, simpler cards, especially in the commons, simpler cards. It doesn't necessarily mean less powerful, but it does uh, mean simpler, right? If you have a, uh, certainly Matsu Hachiro for Lion is not a very complicated card, but he's been you know, very powerful in Lion decks this whole arc, just because he's got good stats, but he's a good simple card. They will tend to be simpler personalities. That doesn't mean that you are restricted from putting more powerful, more complex cards into your deck if you want to, and they will work. But the scout theme itself will be, will tend to be more on the, um, or the, the draft themes, I should say. The draft themes themselves, uh, will tend to be a bit more on the, um, easier to understand and easier to understand and less complex side. I hope I did a decent job explaining it that time. Okay. 
Well, let's move on to the the improvements to the game design diary. And the the first thing on that is just one stronghold per clan. I know there's going to be sensei as well, but before I I ask about that, one of the things that I I think about when I I think about one stronghold per clan, and maybe it's just because we've had such a lengthy period of time where we've gotten to explore all of this different diversity even within a clan, but it seems very difficult to to, to condense a clan down now to just one thing. Like, if I'm going to condense, you know, the essence of crab... Yeah, how does that do something relevant for Yasuki? If I'm going to condense a stronghold down to the essence of Crane, you know, how is that going to fit into a, a scout deck? How did you address that issue? Another question that I've been seeing a lot. So again, glad you asked. Who a clan is like at their core, at their essence, like what makes me a crab player? is pretty much one thing. Like, when you think of crab, you don't think of money-wielding merchants. When when you say, you know, then the crab walked in the room, you're thinking of a big, tough guy, hopefully dressed, wielding a big Tetsubo, uh, right? You think this massive, massive guy. Like, that's who they are at their core. They're hard to take down. They're good in a fight. They'll fight you with everything that they have. They might not be as well trained as the lion, or they might not be as skilled with a blade as a crane uh, or as a kakita or whatever. But they are going to keep coming at you and fight you with whatever they have handy, and you are not going to be able to. That's you know that's who the crab are at the core. So that's what the stronghold is going to be focused on: is that type of thing of what the clan is at its essence. Then the senseis are going to be exploring more of what you're talking about. Uh, so that certainly describes uh, what the crabs are. But certainly the Haruma scouts uh, have a much different flavor to that. Uh, they tend to be smaller, quicker, more elite units, better with a bow, these types of things. So then the sensei will really get the feel of that around. Or if you wanted to do the Yasuki, right? The Yasuki will, you know, a Yasuki sensei will get much more of the feel of the money-wielding merchants to come across. Does that make sense? Does that help answer it? Or That helps. I'm going to to follow up there, though. So from what you're talking, that that sounds like it could almost be something like the stronghold is going to convey what we might identify. I don't know. Like, like the stronghold is almost like a theme now, like, for example, a lot of the characteristics that you're uh, ascribing to the crab now—that I mean, that, that could also be crab commanders or or just generic crab samurai. But for Emperor Edition, that's basically the berserker theme. And so, th- does that mean we're going to see something like the Ivory Edition strongholds are going to feel like they're a stronghold for one theme, and then you basically go into a different theme? basically add a sensei in to go into different themes so yeah i mean the strongholds are going to be basically representative of what the clans are and so it's going to be a much more of a 
play with whatever you want, don't worry about themes as much type deck. Uh, so this isn't the mechanics for the Crab Stronghold, but let's say the Crab Stronghold was something like when your guy gets destroyed, negate the death or something like that, right? That's sort of crabbish. And then maybe the sensei comes along and says, your guys get X bonus when they're a scout or whatever. Certainly, if you want to build a scout deck, you're going to be very much encouraged in order to use this sensei where you get the scout stuff. But if you just want to do what is, yeah, in Emperor Edition, as you mentioned, being sort of representative, represented by the Berserkers, but that's sort of representing just who crab samurai are. You could play just the Stronghold, not get into any of the senseis, and just play with basically the best stuff that you can play with in order, in order to do that. Does that make sense? It does, although I have to say, when I was thinking about Crab, yeah, the, the, the first sort of word that would come to mind, unless it's like anti-Shadowlands, would be something like resilience, right. which usually seems to lend itself to the, uh, yeah, the negating things box. But I have to say, Brian, I'm going to be very sad if the one Crab stronghold for the Ark is another one of these, you know, interrupts, negate your action, interrupt, <laughs> delay your action. I'm really getting tired of those. But people love those. Well, crab people love those. Because uh, <laughs> they're extremely good. <laughs> yes, they are. No, the the crab stronghold, I'll just tell you now. I Let me make sure I'm being right here. Yeah, okay, none of the strongholds have interrupt, negate what you did to me on them. <laughs> uh, That's... The Crab Stronghold doesn't have that. Uh, <laughs> none of them have it. It's sort of weird. You'll understand what I mean once you see all the Strongholds come out. Because, uh, yeah, there's some funkiness there. Um, but, uh, but no, the Crab Stronghold is, is, not, is not that. I mean, one of the things to remember is, as we've mentioned, in Ivory Edition, um, I think we've mentioned this before, if not, here's an exclusive for you. Force is going to be a much more relevant thing. So instead of, you know, kill your enemy cards without attachments, it'll be, you know, range three attack or something like that. So force and things scaling on force is going to be much more prevalent. Not everything's going to scale on force, but it's going to be much more prevalent in the game. So even, you know, things that we would just completely disregard, like, you know, static force bonuses are a way to show off resilience in, in Ivory Edition. Because if I'm three force or I'm four force or I'm five force or I'm six force, each of those is much more difficult to deal with than the last one. Okay, now, now we, we just... Well, I guess actually we would make time, I suppose, if you were willing to take the time, but I don't think we're going to take the time to go through a, a big, lengthy discussion of each clan, but this is what I propose. I am sure that in the course of this process you have come up with design documents and you have thought about this, what defines each of the clans. So I suggest that we go through each clan and I will ask you for, let's say, no more than four words, uh, at least one, no more than four words per clan that you think define what that clan is, what the concept of that clan is that you are trying to convey to new players for Emperor Edition. So for Crab, like it might be just resilient. You want to try sure. that? Yeah, sure. sure. Okay, yeah. Crab. Well, yeah, resilience. I mean, can't, can't get much better than that. Okay, Crane. Uh, for Crane, uh, probably perfection. Everything they do, they, they exceed to do it perfectly. They entail to do it perfectly, I should say. Well, my, my boy's the dragon. Introspective? I don't know if that's really much of a, of a good description, but probably, 
that probably w- works well as a description. I don't know how you convey that as a stronghold. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> some some of these are easier than others to convey <laughs> to uh, to try to convey in strongholds. That's for certain. Yes, yes. The dragon box could be like limited. Your stronghold does something, but you don't really <laughs> understand it. Nothing happens. <laughs> yeah. Uh, lion. This is gonna sound a little weird, but samurai. Like, lion are the samurai. I mean, Bushido could maybe be a better u- word used to describe them, but uh, they do everything because it is the right thing to do, right? When, they, when they've when they sworn an oath to the emperor and they're well aware that the emperor is now the evil god Fulang, they hold up their oath because that is the honor, that is the right thing to do by the code of Bushido. So, I mean, that's, that's probably where I'd go with lion. Mantis? Mantis is a tricky one, but I think probably the best thing to describe them is underdogs or little brother. And that might seem a little cerebral or a little esoteric to understand, but it is all the Mantis players know that everyone else looks down on them, right? Uh, and I should say the Mantis clan, but I mean, they sort of go together, but you know. Oh, no, 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 wait, no, no, I mean, let's, let's be clear. All of the other L5R players, we (laughs) actually do think that Mantis players, like, not the characters, the players, there's something wrong with them. No, no, you got it right the first time. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, they, uh, yeah, so they get looked down, and even though they gain legitimacy, right, Yoritomo was able to stand up against everyone else, and was able to gain legitimacy, gain great clan status, you know, they know that you really don't think that we're a great clan. You admit in court or whatever, you know, you, you fully go along with the whole deal. But when you're behind the curtains, you don't treat us with the same respect as you treat everyone else. And so that's why we sort of like my my thoughts on them. And this isn't a universal thing. And these aren't necessarily uh, this is just my personal feelings on them. Um, and not <laughs> these do not convey the uh, the thoughts of AEG or the design team. So so my thoughts on the Mantis is, is you know, they're sort of like the little brother. That no matter how hard he tries, the father always gives more to the bigger brother. And the family always looks on the bigger brother. Not for any real reason other than he's the bigger brother, he's the firstborn, or what have you. Um, The little brother, you know, works really hard and says, you know, hey, look, you know, look what I finally did. And they're like, oh, wow, that's great. Did you see what your brother did? You know what I mean? That that little man, the, the, the little dog syndrome. I know what you mean, although I would dispute the notion that that theme has been conveyed for the Mantis in a long time. It's um, it's hard to get across of mechanics, that is for sure. Well, I don't. I actually, I'm not just laying this on you. I would say, well, for example, I mean, this is something I've I've said before that I when when the Mantis and the uh, the Crane fought recently i was like well look the crane have got to win this because the mantis always win and the mantis have this have been given this this kind of over-the-top naval advantage and it's just obvious and boring if the mantis win and then so of course the mantis thwomp the crane (laughs) they don't feel like the end i don't i don't think that they're conveyed as not that that's something that like i said that's not so much you i guess as so but i don't i don't feel like they've been conveyed as underdogs in a in a good while, I guess. I guess. I guess back with the the Phoenix and the the Mantis were fighting. I, was the last time it really felt like you had much of a uh, the other clans don't really accept the Mantis. And I think if the story team brought the other clans don't really accept the Mantis now, the Mantis players would 
flip the table because I think they, I think they hate that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, and again, this is just my own personal. This is I'm not speaking for the story team or even even the design team here. This is just when I think of the Mantis. Like I think the easy thing to go for with the Mantis is uh, you know is the money makers, but I think that's more of a tool to get to to who they really are. In my opinion, and I, you know, I fully admit that I could be off base on this, and maybe I don't have it right. Uh, but uh, yeah, when I think of Mantis, I sort of that's sort of what I think of. I think of the uh, no matter how hard we try, we don't get the respect we deserve, and we know you don't respect us. But that just means we're going to work that much harder, and we're going to prove to you that we're worthy of the respect, even though we know that you are then going to not respect us even when we prove it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Speaking of the last people to uh, openly accuse the Mantis of not being a real great clan, how about the Phoenix? The Phoenix is sort of tougher because what the Phoenix clan is, in my opinion, is sort of what the Phoenix players want them to be, but not really. So, I mean, the Phoenix clan are pacifists. I think that's I think that's a pretty good way to to describe. But that's Playing a pacifist is really boring. Uh, <laughs> I played one in a in a campaign one time, in a D and D campaign one time. It was fun to do stuff for a little bit, but after a little while, you want to kill fools. And really, so I mean, really, what the Phoenix are about is they're pacifists because they've they're they've seen the power, right? They've seen just how powerful they are, and they don't want to bring that. They they value two life. They don't want to bring that. But the players want, sort of want to be provoked. Like the, the players sort of want to do the, yeah, I, you don't want to do this, buddy. I let's not go there. But then they want the the crab or the whoever to stick their finger in their chest and say, "No, you listen to me, old man. You know, you go sit down before you get hurt, right?" Uh-huh. And then that's when you know the bar gets silent and everybody's like, "He shouldn't have done that." <laughs> and then that's when the phoenix says, "All right." I'm going to have to teach you a lesson. <laughs> and right, it just opens up the king of that only the phoenix can bring. Yes, yes. So, like, it, it, so the, the way word we describe would be pacifist, but that's sort of not entirely accurate. I mean, certainly seeking knowledge might be a better way to, to describe that because they're always seeking knowledge so they can know it, but then know how not to use it and how to, right, and how to contain it. Okay. Scorpionox. Uh yeah, a scorpions probably control. Right? They want to be the puppet master. Uh and this I think goes for the clan and the players. And Scorpion have really gotten tied into this dishonor description. Like Scorpion is the dishonor clan. But I really don't I think dishonor is the tool they use. So I think it's less about wanting to be a dishonor player, um, being a dishonor clan, and more about being a control clan. Which just those two oftentimes co- um, connect to each other. They go down the same road. But yeah, I think it's much more about being able to control what your opponent gets to do when they get to do when they get to do it. And even though I might not be as good in battle as you are, or I might not be as this or that, I can control and set up the situation um, to where my outcome is what I wanted. And if your outcome comes out, well, it's actually what I wanted anyway. You just didn't realize it. <laughs> So so what you're saying is that earlier on when you were being all 
cagey about oh well no clan does well okay the crab don't it's you 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 mean that the scorpion have some sort of ability on their box that messes with with you trying to mess with their guys oh, i gotcha <laughs> i think i uh long ago gave up any any hope of uh anyone else agreeing with me but i i always thought that the like the sort of original scorpion box theme of we don't care about our own dishonor was far more you know at the core of the scorpion than the we dishonor you but yeah okay the spider i think spider's sort of easy right i think they just want to destroy everything (laughs) i think in the recent years you get the actual spider clan and you get this uh legitimacy that they've built for themselves but i think at the core it's still about just destroying everything else relentlessly and it might be by trying to subvert the empire from from within or whatever but i think i think it all goes back to that that horde that shadowlands horde personality that mentality and i could totally be off base here with the spider players but i think that's sort of where where what they want and what they uh what the clan is 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 just about you know Daigatsu's famous quote, it's, uh, it's my world, it's, Rokugan is mine and I'll burn the world to protect it. I, I'm paraphrasing there, but, right? Yeah, something like that. But yeah, it's just about destroying everything. And the ponies. The ponies are friends in purple. Yeah, I would probably describe them, uh, as freedom. They work within the rules, but they have their own way of doing it and they do it their own way. They go where they want, which is usually not where you are. <laughs> and yeah, just I think I think that's just probably the best way to describe them is is freedom and and doing what they want with the rules and not abiding by what everyone else has to do. There you go, listeners. You can now just play that over a few times. <laughs> It'll give you some insight into Brian's mind, and you'll be able to figure out exactly what each of the clan strongholds does based on that. And you can poorly paraphrase me, so in six months when the stronghold doesn't do what you want to do, say, but Brian promised me that the crab stronghold was going to negate a death. <laughs> you promised me introspection, and then you reprinted Tetsu Kamamura, which is incredibly boring. <laughs> you know, we were talking about Tetsu Kamamura the other day, and how it's possibly just the perfect, or one of the perfect dragon strongholds. As exciting as it might not be, but it, uh, you know, it's got so many different levels to it. Yeah, I... I can't argue with that that thematically but I, I i do remember after having had it for for four years so thoroughly like i i so i, I am hoping you're you're not doing just i don't know how you would given how completely different the strongholds have to be now but the yeah tetsu kamamura and pillars of virtue i don't really need those reprinted the dragon stronghold is going to be those two combined into one <laughs> At that the beginning of the be game, choose. <laughs> no, no, no. At the beginning of the game, choose one of these two strongholds. <laughs> uh, as long as I don't start with a five province strength, that only gets better after I'm after I've lost the game. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's uh, that was a fun stronghold. I start with five, and then it gets plus two as soon as I lose one. Yes, for varying definitions of fun. <laughs> Which coincides perfectly with your army getting bigger over the course of the game. <laughs> yes, except Jeremy's probably got more than plus two fours. Okay. <laughs> right. Anyway. So, 
I, I think I saw someone ask, like, oh, well, if each clan, in air quotes, gets one stronghold, you know, how could you do that for all these different kinds of, of unaligned factions, Ronin and, and Oni and all that? So I guess my following that is, do, are there non-clan strongholds in Ivory Edition and, or is there at least one? And if so, is that one per faction or just one generic unaligned? Uh, well, I mean, there's certainly a few ways we could do it. I won't uh, say what our plans are or aren't, but uh, I mean, you could just make an unaligned stronghold. You could make them into senseis, right? You could have a Ronin sensei and an Imperial sensei and a Panku sensei and a Fudo sensei or whatever and just redo all these ones that we have. And then those could be out of, you know, any clan or maybe they, they're restricted to a few clans depending on, you know, what the story is or whatever. So, I mean, there are many options that, uh, that are on the, on the table there and what you could do. Or we could do the same thing that we have, which is multiple unaligned strongholds, just like there is now. Okay. Well, let's move on to the, the other side of that, which was Sensei. And there would have been a thread on the AEG forums and it talked about Sensei and I was like, oh, well, they're not going to bring back Sensei and here's why. <laughs> I did see that and had a little chuckle. I'm like, we'll be talking in a few weeks and. <laughs> And I, I mean, I could summarize basically what it was. It's like, well, they they won't have multi-clan sensei because it's such an incredibly difficult job for them to balance things, even within a clan, that having multi-clan sensei, like, it didn't work well before, and so they're not going to do that because it would be too hard to balance. And then there's no point to having single-clan sensei because that's just the same thing as having different strongholds, except it's more complicated. So you're having both single-clan sensei and multi-clan sensei, so, what was wrong about my reasoning? <laughs> I do appreciate you uh, coming to the defense, <laughs> even if we wound up going with the exact opposite of what you said. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, this touches on uh, things I've seen a few people mention, so I'll talk about that real quick before I go into why you were so wrong. <laughs> 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 um, so, definitely seeing people say, well, what's, you know, you say you're trying to simplify the game, and then you're going down to one stronghold, but bringing back senseis, that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't simplify anything. You just add it in a new card type. So what it does is it gives very clear stepping stones to new players on how they can get into the game. And I mentioned this brief, briefly on the video, but I certainly can't spend the time talking on the video that I can, uh, like on our podcast, right? Because we can't have a 40-minute designer diary video. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so when you open up your Emperor Edition starter deck, uh, and you got four strongholds there, you know, if, if you're a new player, you, you didn't know where to begin. And granted, we had one deck that was specifically built for one of those strongholds, uh, even to the point to where that stronghold was in a different part than the other, than the other three strongholds when you open it up. Uh, but that didn't really give you a clear thing about what the clan was, where to begin. What Sensei does is, so let's say the old school of two strongholds. You open up and you have your, your regular just I'm a crab stronghold, and then you have your whatever, I'm a Yasuki merchant sensei. Uh, or in the old days, sorry, I'm a Yasuki merchant stronghold. The old days of the Yasuki merchant stronghold as well. Ignore, <laughs> ignoring that that never existed. It, again, it, I don't have a clear step. So it's like, okay, so what do I do? Which one, the, you know, where do I start? What, do, what, what goes in my deck? What doesn't? What's my clan about? Uh, who am I as a crab player? What does it mean to be a crab player? So now you get the one stronghold, you open up, 
you immediately see, you get a feel for what your clan is about. Uh, you get a deck, obviously, that's going to correspond to that stronghold. Uh, and then when you are ready to start exploring the deeper aspects of your clan, then you have Sensei in order to do that. And what really makes it different than Stronghold is it is a different card type, and it's got a different visual look. That might not sound like a lot, but that does actually make a big difference when you're a new player or a casual player or whatever. It's very quickly easy to discern the difference between a Stronghold, the uh, you know Cayudan Crab Stronghold, and Yasuki Sensei, uh, versus Cayudan Crab Stronghold and Yasuki Palace's Stronghold. To tell you, you know, to tell you where you begin and then what is a more in-depth aspect of your clan. So, I mean, that's, that's the reason why we went down to one stronghold and then added in senses. And senses also allow us the option, as you mentioned, which is the multi-clan sensei. And multi-clan sensei really open up a lot of options. First, we can start giving every clan, every single set, a new sensei, or two new senses, or whatever we find the right numbers to work with. Every set, you know, you can get that. You could, We couldn't do that because we have nine clans under the old model. It just wasn't feasible uh, on several levels to put out nine brand new strongholds every single set. But you can do that with sensei, and you can do it with multiple clans. You can do it with using up much fewer cartridges, right? Two, two sensei can cover your nine clans instead of nine strongholds. Uh, and we can easily give a, if we find that we want to, we could easily introduce two brand new sensei for everyone, right? Three sensei if they each are usable, maybe one's usable by four clans, one's usable by five, and then the other sensei is usable by all. Uh, you know, with three cars there, we've given every clan two brand new, p- potential brand new ways to build and play your decks. And that's just not an option that we have with strongholds. Right? We couldn't. We just can't print 18 strongholds in an expansion. But with three cards, we can give the equivalent of each clan two new decks. As far as the balancing factor on our side, one thing that really helps us out with Ivory Edition that we didn't have with Ivory Edition is the because the power level is is uh, much lower than what it was with Emperor Edition. If things get missed, if things go by unnoticed, whatever, if it creates much less of a problem than it did in Emperor Edition. Uh, imagine that you're, you're steering a ship, and it might be really fun to go steer near all the jagged rocks, right? You've been steering ships for a long time, and you, know, you just get bored sailing your ship out in the open ocean. So you want to be much more dangerous and, and get a bigger thrill out of it and go steer it near the, you know, the rocky cliffs. And maybe you're awesome. Maybe you'll steer all the way through without a problem. But you miss anything. <laughs> you mess up. And it's a, and it's a big deal. And things can get out of hand and out of control, uh, relatively quickly. Now, where Ivory Edition is, you know, cause you're at a lower power level, it's a lot less dangerous than those, than the rocky cliffs. Uh, and you can, you know, you're still, you're still sailing boat. It's a lot of fun. Uh, but, but you're not near, you're not near all these, all these dangers. So what I'm trying to say here is, is the play test ability of the balancing of these does instantly become much more feasible. Cause if things do get missed, if things do go by, it's not creating this drastic issue 
or it's not scaling just way too fast and out of control as things often did in Emperor Edition. And, uh, I mean, we had the old senseis going way back to Jade Era with the multi-clans, and for the most part, they were okay as far as balance, as far as um, power level from one to the next. Uh, you certainly were not going to do as many as they did then. I mean, I think some sets you get 10, 12 sensei in expansion. We're just not going to do that. You know, you're going to be looking two, three, maybe four uh, senses in the expansion. And back then, there was a little bit different idea on them. And, and you get ones that were just utterly unplayable, but they were just very thematic for what was going on in the story at the time. But, uh, I forget. I probably said everything I wanted to say there. <laughs> I sort of lost my train of thought. I don't know where I was going for. Some of the old sensei are, are oddball, yeah. Some of them seem pretty terrible. Some of them have very sweeping effects that were not really the sort of effects we saw in sensei. Like, you've got whole messes like events don't exist. Yeah, yeah. Sensei we're, and... We're definitely staying away from those. Like, I love the senseis of old, like the um, Shirasu sensei, which aligned all magistrates to your clan, but then had a drawback. Though that drawback actually was pretty harsh, but... But, you know, those types of things where they give you a new way to build your deck. Uh, I don't like the Norikazu senseis, the Neo senseis, where they prevented your opponent from playing his cards. Uh, we're not going to be doing that. Senseis are not going to be a meta option to stop your opponent from being able to play his cards. And anybody who played back then or plays in big deck now and plays a dueling deck and goes to Kitsukuro sensei, who says they can refuse unrefusable duels, knows just how bad that those can be. So, yeah, I mean, the balancing has not been, has not really been that difficult. We're not having to balance the three new strongholds that we have each expansion. So it's, it's not a whole lot different than what we had before, but just every expansion, every clan is getting new, a new stuff, a new deck, a new way to play. And, it, you know, it may work out, may not work out better than what you already have, but it is at least something new that you get to play around with and, and, and test out for a little while to see if there's something there. No, yeah, that's. I, I think at some point I actually, again, somewhere in one of these many threads, said something like, "Well, really, ideally, they would print a new clan for every stronghold, every <laughs> every yeah. set, so that you got a completely new thing." But you could never play test that many different things. Also, does this mean yeah. you're not going to reprint Yoden Sensei for me? <laughs> I loved Yoden. I was I played Unicorn Yoden back in the day. Yoden will not be coming back over my dead body. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, talk about just the perfect example of not letting your opponent play with their cards, right? Yes, I, I seem to recall uh, a rather vocal contingent of folks who seemed extremely offended at Faceless winning Gen Con. I doubt that a Faceless Sensei... <laughs> yeah, imagine if it had Yoden. Yeah. Yeah. For, for anyone who doesn't know, Yoden more or less wound up saying your opponent gets to buy one personality a turn, and that's it. Yeah, you would play a faceless deck, yeah, they would only get to buy one guy a turn, and then your restriction was that you couldn't play anything that, any cards that targeted their guys, but there was, there's just enough stuff out there in the old things that you can, you know, that you can fend off one guy a turn without needing to target them. Yeah. So... You know, you've compared the Stronghold plus Sensei to what would have been just Strongholds before. So when we open an Ivory Edition starter deck, is there going to be 
here's your stronghold for your resilient berserker theme and here are three sensei or are those going to come later in in booster packs or how's that going to get rolled out there will be senseis in ivory base uh they're not actually going to be in the starter deck because as i mentioned what we want the starter decks to do is you open it up here is the deck that tells you what your clan is about uh so the sensei actually won't be fixed won't be fixed in the starter decks themselves uh they're going to be uncommon slots in um in in uh in ivory edition uh, so they won't be you know they won't be tough to get it's not like they'll be ultra premium rare whatever <laughs> cards to get and then each expansion they'll they'll continue to roll out huh so you can draft a sensei you can draft a sensei it's actually it's a lot of fun when playing draft it, when some senseis come around you're like hmm i wasn't going to play crane but now that i have this sensei do i want to pick that as my second clan Okay, well, actually, just to, uh, I'm gonna pop back to draft a second. And I was thinking about the draft th- themes and how that would get distributed. Like, how, how many draft themes are there? How does that work with the strong, with, with the different clans? Is it like there's six different themes and each of them covers three clans with each clans having two? Or is it more freeform than that? It's more freeform than that. Um, the, the clans tend they tend to have one one theme in general, and then they they fit into another theme. Uh, so if we were taking Emperor Edition as an example, a Mantis theme could certainly be Scouts, right? They've got Scouts at the Wazoo, but certainly it wouldn't be very difficult in draft for the Kitsune to work into a Mantis Honor deck. Certainly, the Kitsune have high personal honor, and those guys are good. But they're also not dead in a military deck and draft, right? You can send, you can send, well, I mean, obviously, it would depend on which Kitsune <laughs> are actually, you know, the, the butterflies aren't going to be spectacular and the sparrows not spectacular, but, you know, the bears and the badgers and some of the other guys that you get, they can attack right along with the best of them. And while well, the bear actually in particular says he can't, he, he only, his ability only works on attackers. But I, I, th- I think you get what I mean. Like, uh, usually there's, uh, one, one theme that the clan has, but the clan will also work well, uh, with maybe another theme or maybe even two other themes. So where, you know, I could be drafting lion and you could be drafting lion and we wind up with two different decks. Uh, you know, maybe you're doing lion with scouts and you're taking a perdition example where I'm just looking at good guys with good force and high personal honor, and I don't really care about the keywords. You know, I just want high personal honor to fuel my cards that get better off high personal honor, right? Paragon cards or whatever. Well, you mentioned in there bears and and badgers and stuff. Are we going to see a Kitsune bunny token in Ivory Edition? (laughs) Uh, We do not have plans for Kitsune bunnies. You got the killer bunny on that one spell in Emperor Edition. So that should tie it over any bunny lovers out there. Assuming that you don't actually like, you know, nice, sweet, gentle bunnies. Okay. Last thing before we move on to the next talker. Uh, so you only get one stronghold. Uh, you're not going to print more. What if your clan's one stronghold sucks? We spent a long time on the strongholds. Um, that is one of the things that's really nice. You know, when we were testing Emperor, we had 36 strongholds, 38 by the time you added in Ronin and, uh, 
And well, I suppose Forgotten Temple wasn't in Emperor Base, but you know, 37 strongholds or whatever to test out. When you only have one per clan, you can spend a lot of time to make sure that that stronghold is good. And I honestly don't think there's a single uh, stronghold that you can legitimately say sucks. Okay. Speaking of things that I'm not fond of opening, does Aftermath going to have a bunch more Fallen guys for a theme that is not going to exist in Ivory Edition? <laughs> I mean, they're based on uh, the story at the time. So in Gates of Chaos, they're still all you're still fighting Panku. But in Aftermath, the story was rolling around where Panku had already been defeated. So I would not expect to see many more Fallen guys, if any. Well, that's nice. Okay. Well, I have my notes here in order, but let's take the shorter, less interesting topic first. You're changing some of the, the phase structure, and if I understood correctly, now instead of having a straighten phase, then an events phase, then an action phase, you will just straighten and flip up your provinces at the start of your action phase. And then, instead of having an end-of-turn phase where you draw your card, card draw is going to be part of the dynasty phase. Did I understand that correctly? Yeah, yeah, we just rolled, yeah, events and straightens into the beginning of your action phase, and then the end of phase, end phase, uh, drawing cards, discarding down, ending your turn. That's just at the end of the dynasty phase. Uh, I mean, the reality is, outside of stopping your events flipping up your provinces to resolve events. Nobody paid any attention to those phases anyways. Right? It's not like anybody said, okay, I'm going to enter my straight phase. All right, I'm done with my straight phase. Now I'm going to do my events phase. Right? You, you just sort of, you oftentimes just straighten actually even at the end of your opponent's turn to get started on your turn. Then you'll, uh, yeah, you, you flip up your provinces and then you just, you basically start the action phase anyway. So now when new players are having to learn the game, uh, there's only three phases there uh, instead of six. And it, it that really is a big deal, especially if you have little uh, learn-to-play card helpers and you're only writing down what you do for three phases instead of what you write down for six, even though we might have all the same exact mechanical things and we've just condensed down into three phases. The fact that you're only learning action, attack, dynasty, go, instead of Straighten events, action, attack, dynasty, and go. That makes a really, really, really big deal to uh, to casual players and, and existing players. Obviously, I mean, don't I don't even notice a change, and you're not going to notice it either when you go to. The only thing you'll notice is the fact that events now resolve as an action instead of uh, having to, which is actually even a better thing, right? Because now that you're it doesn't matter if you flip up your provinces left to right, right to left. It doesn't make a difference. You just turn them all over and go. But don't I need to know which one of my regions attached first? No, just kidding. <laughs> right. So now I'm going to ask you know the really important question here. Brian, have you gone on to iTunes and left a rating for Strange Assembly? <laughs> uh, I think I did a long time ago when you guys first got started up. I'm pretty sure... Uh, I because I wasn't subscribed, and I'm pretty sure at that time I gave you a rating. See, guys, Brian has done it. Now you have to do your part. <laughs> now, okay, so let's talk about the the changing legality system because <clears throat> you may not have been entirely clear about that in your designer diary. Yeah, see, apparently I went over that a little too quick. 
seems to be a lot of confusion about that. Uh, uh, okay, so we are having a base set come out at the beginning of 2014. It is going to have an, if I understand correctly, it's going to have an ivory bug like the cards do now. Is that the only bug on Ivory Edition? Ivory Edition will actually have two bugs on it. It'll okay. have Ivory Part 1 and Ivory Part 2. Then Expansion 1, again, will have Ivory 1, Ivory 2. Same with Expansion 2, same with Expansion 3. Then the, the fourth expansion, uh, which would be one year after Ivory Edition, that is going to start the buggings over. So you'll have, you'll no longer have Ivory Part 2. Uh, excuse me. You'll no longer have Ivory Part 1. It'll now have Ivory Part 2. And then you would go on with the, with the new bugs for them. Okay. So let's, let's back that up for clarity. Cause you, you said that Ivory was going to have Ivory 1 and Ivory Part 2. So is there a generic Ivory Edition bug? And then there's like two sub bugs. No, it's just, so the green bug that you've been seeing in Coils and Gates, that's Ivory Part 1. Okay. Excuse me, I said green, I meant purple. The purple bug that you've been seeing, that's Ivory Part 1. What we actually showed in the video, the blue version of the exact same bug, if you notice, it's actually the exact same, I just turned it blue. Uh-huh. That's Ivory Part 2's bug. And so, Gates of Chaos, Coils of Madness, Aftermath, those are all Ivory Part 1. Obviously, Ivory itself is part one. Expansion one, expansion two, expansion three. After Ivory edition, that's all part one. Then, then when it resets, then it'll be part two. So then that means that coils, gates, and aftermath would be kicked out of the cycle at that point. And then it would be Ivory one, two, three, this new one. It might be easier if we use real-world examples instead of these hypothetical future ones. Now, imagine that these arcs are one year instead of two, but the numbers still work out basically the same. Okay. But so if we had... Let's go back to Celestial Edition. Or we can go back... You know, we'll just go with Ever Edition. Let, 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 let me try something and see if this is... Okay, sure. so you, you have bugs, and is... I mean, maybe this is a little weird because we're in a transition period. So, like the what we are currently calling the Ivory Edition bug is going to be on cards for two years. It's going to be on things that were, you know, Coils of Madness, the, all the, you know, the, the Coils of Madness and the other stuff that was printed in 2013, and then it'll be on all the stuff printed in 2014. Correct. Correct. Okay. And then there's going to be the the what we're you're calling the Ivory Two bug, the blue bug. That's going to be on all of the product released in 2014. And 2015. And all the product released in 2015. So in 2015, does that mean that there's going to be a third bug, which let's call it Yoda Tai 1? Is there going to be another bug then? So like basically every card has two bugs? Yeah, so yeah, every card from now on is going to be dual bugged. The potential exception to that, and I don't think it'll wind up being, but we don't have concrete plans, is when the they reset year one, year two, but I'm pretty sure that we are going to go with everything is going to have two bugs. So if we think about it as as years, Ivory is coming out, you know, first quarter 2014, right? So basically Ivory part one is 2014. Ivory part two is 2015. The next base set is 2016. The next base set part two is 2017. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay, so when Ivory comes out in 2014, 
then we're playing Ivory Edition. It'll be everything will be Ivory Bugged, which is the preceding expansions, which would be 2013 plus 2014. Uh, when 2015 rolls around, uh, you will now have the Part 2 bug. So 2013 will be kicked out, and you'll now have 2014, 2015 to play with. When 2016 rolls around, 2014 will be kicked out, and you'll be playing with 2015, 2016. Does that help? It does. I think that I think actually that your the labeling of them after the sets is is kind of confusing. Like Ivory One and Ivory Two is confusing. So very possible, yeah. It I guess what it feels like, you know, to take the a common example, that a lot of people know that. I mean, it's it's going to rotate like Magic Standard sort of, where you've got. I mean, instead of a block, you're going to have a year. If we're playing in 2014, the product that's going to be legal is the product that came out in 2013 and 2014. If we're playing in 2015, the product that's legal is the product that came out in 2014 and 2015 with with the beginning of the new quote-unquote block just coming at the beginning of the year. Right. Yeah, that's how that'll work. Yeah, that'll be how that works. Okay. So now we're going to have three legality systems. You described them as ended, extended, regular and and strict so regular is what we've just been talking about so is strict just going to be then the stuff from this year yeah so strict strict would be just this year forward so when ivory edition rolls out in 2014 strict would just be ivory forward so you wouldn't have gates you wouldn't have coils you wouldn't have aftermath and extended would be the regular, which is Ivory Bug, plus the previous bug, which would be Emperor. Now, in case anybody is confused about it, we realize that Emperor's power level is going to be much different than Ivory, so we are not planning on rolling out Extended um, once Ivory releases, because that's basically just going to be Emperor again. Uh, you're obviously more than welcome to play it in Casual, but we aren't going to be supporting any tournaments with Extended until Emperor is no longer part of that equation. Well, that... And here's another thing that's, that's kind of confusing. I mean, is this going to stay the same? Because it, when Ivory Edition comes out, Ivory Edition is going to actually have two bugs on it, right? It's going to have the purple Ivory Correct. bug, and then it's going to have the blue. So the most two recent bugs are going to be... The Emperor Edition actually isn't going to be one of the two most recent bugs. Like, the new bug, weirdly enough, under this system, the new bug for 2014 isn't the purple Ivory bug. It's the blue Ivory bug, right? That'll be the new one, yeah. So it might be easier if we use real-world examples here if what we, instead of trying to think of the hypotheticals. So let's go back to, let's just say Celestial Edition. So we have base sets before and base sets after we can work with. So the regular would be just Celestial Edition as everything that was Celestial bugged. The strict would be everything just Celestial forward which would have, in Celestial's case, kicked out the last of Samurai Edition, which was Glory to the Empire, uh, Glory of the Empire, excuse me, and um, Death of Conan. And then Extended would be all of Celestial plus all of Samurai. Does that help? It does, except that it... it I don't know that that directly transfers to the way that the bugs are going to be. So let me... Okay, it doesn't so, quite, because it's two years versus one year. It doesn't quite... If you yeah. translate those names as bugs instead of names, that might. Okay, so when, when we're talking about, at the start of Ivory Edition, Extended is going to be 
effectively three bugs worth of cards. It's going to be the Emperor bug, which happens to cover two years worth of cards, and it's going to be the Ivory One bug, and it's going to be in, including cards that have the ivory, the, the blue Ivory bug. So when we get to 2015 and we're printing cards that don't have the purple ivory bug so regular is going to be defined by the blue bug and is going to be ivory edition onwards everything printed in 2014 plus the stuff in 2015 at that point in time is extended does extend does the expansion from extended mean okay well now you get to play with the purple bugged cards that are pre two thousand fourteen? All right, so let's let's uh, let's fast forward to twenty fifteen. Yes. So twenty fifteen rolls around, and we'll just call it Ivory Two. Is that too confusing, or we'll call it Laser? I think someone was calling it Laser. <laughs> it, so that, that took off. Yeah. Uh, but whatever. So twenty fifteen. We'll just use years. That'll be easier, probably. Yes. So twenty fifteen rolls around. You have the twenty fifteen bug, which is that blue bug. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So yeah. Well, the 2015- okay. The, well, the twenty fifteen bug isn't. I thought that, but cards that come out in twenty fourteen are going to have the blue bug as well. They're going to have right? the blue bug, but remember they're the preceding sets. Okay. So- okay. Well, they they well they yeah they have the blue and the purple bug. Right. They'll have yeah they'll have the blue and the purple, but twenty twenty fourteen bugs. <laughs> well, I mean there is so no they're the I mean, they're the preceding sets is a thing, so they're the equivalent of coils of madness, which is emperor bugged, but then also picked up the second bug that you don't need right now. You don't need the ivory bug right now. You'll need to deal with that. It just sort of picked it up and just ignore it for the time being. That's what the blue bug's going to be when ivory rolls. I'm just making this worse, aren't I? <laughs> okay. All right. Okay, so over the course of 2014, you're going to have cards with purple bugs and blue bugs. And then in 2015, you're going to have cards that don't have the purple bug anymore. They have the blue bug, and then they have some other third bug that we don't care about. At that point in time, in 2015, strict will just be cards that came out in 2015. Regular will be any card... That has the blue bug, right? Correct on both, yes. Okay, and then extended will will be extended will be any card with the blue bug plus any card with the purple bug. Exactly. You got it. Okay, so Simple. <laughs> so once this gets going, including the prior bug is just gonna be an extra year worth of cards. Right. Okay. Yeah, and it's while it's um yeah, it's obviously hard to get across, but once it gets going, it's actually pretty simple. Once it gets going, but I think the system will totally work, and I think the, I think the system yeah. makes sense. I think that hey, maybe it's it's just me at this point. Maybe everybody else got it ten minutes in the go go in this conversation, but I I think that I think they're calling it Ivory One and Ivory Two, and then talking about preceding sets is. Yeah, it's def. I've definitely done a very poor job communicating because there's definitely nothing that's come out of this thread as much as or out of this designer diary than the confusion over this. So I've done a poor job, but yeah. So when 2015 rolls around, the standard is going to be that blue bug, which will be the 2015 bug. So your regular tournament experience, everything with a blue bug on it. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah, don't 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 call it the tw- I I I I say as if I get to just tell you what to do. Don't don't call it the 2015 bug when it's on cards that are printed in 2014. That's confusing. During the year of 2015, it's the bug that defines what's legal. I understand that, but it's I, I think you're going to confuse people if you call it the 2015 bug when you're printing it on cards in 2014. So let's call 2015 Onyx Edition. Okay. That's, that's not it. I'm literally yeah, just, yeah. I want with the opposite of Ivory. <laughs> uh, so let's call it Onyx Edition. So to- so you have the Onyx bug, which is that blue bug. No, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, yes. It, the the bl- standard will be stuff with the blue bug. Yeah, this, so in, again, this isn't the real thing, but in Onyx Edition, Onyx Edition will be blue bug. And your regular tournament will be everything with the Onyx blue bug on it. Now, as with all the dual buggings we do, that that takes the preceding sets, which actually starts with Ivory, and plus Onyx, plus all the Onyx expansions. The strict would be getting rid of the preceding, so it would just be Onyx forward. And then the extended would be the Onyx, or the regular, which would be all the Onyx plus all the ivory. So that would mean basically you would be pulling coils, gates, and aftermath into Onyx edition. Yeah, I, I get it. I okay. uh, now you're talking about this in the context of Onyx edition and you know calling it Onyx edition and resetting it. And earlier I mean you talked about a you know the next base set being in, in fourteen. Is there going to be a new base set every quarter one? Or is uh, it just- what is actually gonna be we're gonna have a base set every two years. As, as normal. So, uh, Emperor was 2012, Ivory's 2014, the next one, whatever it is, is 2016. But every, but in that one year gap, so you have Ivory Edition, then the following year, what we're gonna have is just a larger than normal set, um, that will reset the bugs. So it's bigger than an expansion, but it's not gonna be a new base set. For legality purposes, there's really no difference between those two, right? Correct. I mean, they're all going to rotate in the same way. Yeah. Okay. That's okay. I think we've got that that across. I don't think the listeners need to uh, hear any more of me giving you suggestions from the peanut gallery about how to market and label your product. I have gone over everything that I wanted to go over. I think I have covered everything that you got on Twitter when you asked if people had any questions. Were there any questions that you you got on Twitter that I missed, or did you want to plug that L5R follow at L5R on contest on Twitter contest or anything else you wanted to add in? There certainly have been some people wondering. Okay, not just what are you know? Can you please do a take two on defining what the different environments are, but why we're doing it and what our plans are with them? So. We, you know, we have a new L5R team, so we're going to be going over the potential for the plans uh, on what we can do with this. I would expect that the standard, which is what everyone's used to, is still going to remain the standard format. But what tends to happen, it seems to happen more with L5R than I see it with other games, is there is no difference between tournament rules and casual rules. And so I've seen a lot of times where people you know, maybe they sh- they haven't played in a while and they show up with their Samurai Edition deck or whatever. And the people at the local store will say, oh, well, you can't play those cards anymore. Well, they're not in the tournament. There's no reason they can't play those cards anymore, right? And so what, what we're trying to do is 
is put a few more tournament rules, uh, tournament formats out there. Play test them, make sure that they're balanced. So we have the option to use them. The standard would still, is still going to be the go-to. But if, you know, if a specific tournament organizer maybe wants, wants to run an extended or a strict instead, they can talk to us and we can, we can do it. Or maybe we want to run a series of tournaments and the, the theme behind the series of tournaments is going to be this extended tournament format. Uh, or maybe the strict tournament format, whatever. But then also at the casual level, that gives a little bit more validity to that guy who, you know, who just has just a starter deck, let's say, just a starter deck and stuff going forward. And he can say, Oh, well, I've only got a strict deck. You know, I don't have, I don't have a regular thing. Does anybody have a strict deck that I can play with just going forward? And, you know, since strict is going to be a tournament format, people will be more likely to keep a strict deck on them to play that format. Uh, and it also changes, it also changes up the game quite a bit. So that can get interesting. I mean, we certainly have all gotten to the point where you played everything, nothing of the stuff is exciting. But if you either add three sets in or take three sets out or whatever it might be, uh, and suddenly you have a brand new environment, even though you haven't had to buy any more cards. Yeah, you, know, you just said, okay, next week at the tournament, we're going to play the strict environment or we're going to play the extended either. You can add these three sets into the deck or you can't have these three sets into the deck. Yeah, go. And you get a whole brand new experience. So we'll see what the, you know, what, uh, Deneen and, uh, the new tournament guys, uh, and the new L, the new guys on the L5R team, what we wind up doing with all these different tournament formats. But we want to make sure that we have them, we have them ready to go and that they've been play tested for and, and, uh, that they're viable formats. So that was, that's the reasoning behind it. Why we had the three instead of just the one. Heavens no, I'm pretty ecstatic at the, uh, you guys pull it off. Cause I mean, it adds some design challenges for you, but I'm ecstatic at the notion of going to a, a more constant rotation because there's such a big difference in how much the environment changes if you're just constantly adding cards versus, versus rotating them out. And, and yeah, an L5R sort of has to deal with this second year or especially second half of the second year of the arc doldrums where nothing has left the environment in in so long and it it can feel a little stagnant and this should just completely get rid of that yeah i mean that was obviously one of the other goals is it's really the environment in year two maybe you know maybe some people are sort of aware of this but maybe haven't quite analyzed it like you and i have but the environment in year two definitely tends to continue to drop off, as you say, as it doesn't rotate out as much. So the same decks that were powerful last set are still powerful this set, are still powerful the next set. Maybe, you know, things have changed around in the environment, adjusted up a little. But it's never had, like, entire expansions just cycled out to where, you know, maybe the decks that were at the top are no longer at the top and other decks can come up and and be interesting. Um, And it's also really, really difficult for players to join the game after the first year, because of this two-year cycle. Like, it's really difficult to teach someone Emperor Edition anywhere in this year, in 2013, and say, you know, oh, you like the game? Yeah. Um, you know, well, let's get you started. First thing you're going to need to do is catch up on these seven sets uh, <laughs> that are all legal, right? That's just... Yeah, I mean, as a, as a practical matter, at this point, you basically, somebody's like, I'd like to learn how to play all 5 You're like, well... 
why don't you buy again Puku starter and then come back in November? Yeah, I mean that's what that's what um, that I often do is like you know I'll teach someone how to play and I'll say yeah go ahead and pick up a Genpuku starter because you get so much stuff out of there for the value and then you know and then pick up cards from coils or gates of chaos to add to that because it, it's could you imagine telling somebody oh yeah go back and buy all these before the dawn and second city cards and oh by the way before the dawn is or they're all out of print before the dawn is really hard to get at this point second city is you know it's not easy it's just it's been a really rough system and so yeah we're we're taking big strides to try to address this i, I think it's I think that's fantastic. Oh, it occurred to me. Uh, so for for strict, are there going to be a new round of strongholds in the big expansion at the start of the year, so that you have a strict legal stronghold? Yeah, we are going to have strongholds in that Onyx edition, as I called it. Now, it could be that they are just a reprint of Ivory Edition. I'm not saying either way at this point, but there will be strongholds in that, in that, that year two, not a base set, but bigger than regular set expansion. Um, so that way, if you did want to play strict, obviously you have legal strongholds because that's kind of important. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who did the strong? <laughs> the game gets a lot more interesting. Like, uh, Hope I find a riverside port or a porter <laughs> keep or something to bring out for free. Yeah. Come on small farm. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, you probably didn't reprint that again, right? Uh, <laughs> Everybody likes free gold. Uh, I liked it, but it causes <laughs> issues. Uh, okay. Anything else? Yeah, let's see. We had a a guy at Waltamedes. Asking, uh, with you guys going to one year mechanical arcs, are there any plans for better legacy support from Ivory Onward? Uh, I would love to do that. I would love to get a team into place. Uh, certainly the more of Ivory editions we sell, the more money we make, the more we can hire people to do this. <laughs> but get somebody who's, um, who truly is focused on legacy. I mean, the big deck guys have a, a great, a great support system there. Uh, but certainly it would be great if we could get someone official on Big Deck as well working with those guys in order to be able to support Legacy and to make it a real thing. Uh, I mean, there's just the reality that our player base isn't as large as Magic's is, so we we just can't support all these different tournament formats. You know, if you have 10 players at your local store, you can't have three or four of them are regular players and two of them only play Big Deck and then a couple of them only play Legacy and it's just not like, you know, magic where when your player base size is that big, you can get people who all they play is draft. You know, they don't even have constructed or, and that's not a problem. You know, or all they have is EDH or, you know, all they have is type one or whatever it's called these days. Vintage. Vintage. Is that, is that his name? Uh, yeah. I don't think, I don't know how many other people, uh, play it. I mean, the legacy if a functioning legacy where you didn't have to buy the power nine really hurt it and of course modern is enormous what you don't have grand prix where you have to cap attendance at four thousand eight hundred players yeah that was the vegas grand prix grand prix right yeah and i think yeah. they had like six thousand actually show up i i don't know how many they had show yeah. up but that yeah that was uh think what was that modern masters limited or something like that something I, like that yeah. When when we get that with L5R, we'll have we'll have amazing legacy support. 
<laughs> when we got a cap coat ties, you know what? Not even when we got the cap coat ties at a thousand. Let's let's not be crazy. We'll just when coat ties are getting thousand players, <laughs> then uh, then we'll have amazing legacy support. Well, that's that's not really a fair standard. A coat is more like a, a a pro tour qualifier. Those don't get that. When Gen Con gets a thousand people, I think then you can sure. get in. Yeah, there we go. That's fair. <laughs> uh, the Con's our world championship, so maybe the jewel events. I will. I mean, <laughs> the, the reality is we don't have one of those. <laughs> yeah, I'll say We're my. Just, uh, I, I don't understand my uh, my uh, my Kote gets way more people than my my jewel event does. So, um, let me just plug that right there. Ivory Championships in Atlanta. That's Ivory the Jewel, not Ivory the Base Set. They're in January this year because I'm not running a tournament when I have a two week old in the house. So January 11th in Atlanta, Chris at strangeassembly.com. If you have any questions, it's on the AEG website. Ivory Championships show up. It's awesome. November 9th in Sacramento for Emeralds. We're done with our uh, our shilling now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, well. Oh, no, no, we're not done with shilling. That's like the last 30 seconds of the podcast. I, <laughs> I suppose that's fair. Right? I mean, uh, but okay. Do you have any more uh, any more of those Twitter questions? Yeah, let's see here. Um, at untested methods, asking if we could further elaborate. Uh, <laughs> you want us to talk more about the format? I think we we covered that. Um, at, I really hope so. Yeah, Zag Zag Al. Does the addition of strict mean a new core set like Ivory Edition every year? Okay, we got to that. There's Mel asking about the Kitsune bunnies. At the at the came Ronin. Uh, as a confused potential player, how will Ivory help me get started comfortable beyond the beginner box? That's a good question. And let me say, hey, hey, Robbie, nice talking to you from BGG. Anyhow, answer his question. Okay. Um, well, um, certainly the uh, the starter deck is going to give you the first deck. The starter deck is going to be a self-contained deck, and hopefully been able to convey recently. Uh, like, there's too much stuff to go over, but how we're adjusting L5R to make it new player friendly in order to get you started, to get you comfortable, to not overwhelm you immediately as you sit down to the table. Beyond going in into the first, I would recommend watching the designer diaries. Uh, if, you, if you're familiar with L5R now, which with the name Rona makes me think he might be. Oh, that might be the Cameron in because <laughs> his last name is Cameron. I might just be rode in there. <laughs> I, I, well, I, I I think that's uh, a pun. Uh, he's a he's a, an RPG player. He ah, wants to get to the CCG. Cameron. Okay. Yes. Well, yeah. The, if you're familiar with L, if Alphabar already, the design diaries will help you uh, figure out the changes and the steps we're making to make it better for new players. If you're not familiar with Alphabar now, then it'll be even easier because <laughs> you won't have to unlearn what you have learned. Uh, we're certainly with Ivory Edition. We're going to have a lot of products for new players. We're going to have a new learn to play set that guides you through your first game. So there's going to be a lot of stuff coming out aimed at helping you get into Ivory, uh, getting into L5R Ivory Edition. And may I say, kudos on actually having a learn to play set that comes out when the base set comes out. Yeah, figure we give that a shot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you yeah, you seem to. Let's put out the learn to play set right at the beginning of the second year when we can't get new players to start in because we're too far into the arc. Yeah. Yeah, I still uh I I still contest that 
had the plans gone through that may that that the honor and treachery would have worked out better because Gempuku was a pretty good time to get started in with both the starter decks and then the you know the six six rares per pack to get you caught up on the cards you missed. But you know, Emperor had its own problems. The plans didn't go through as they were supposed to, and the rest is history. Oh, well, I mean, I don't know anything about the I mean, Honor and Treasury sales, and it's not like there's anything wrong with them as a I mean, as a product in a vacuum, it's just that the sort of timing. Yeah, no, certainly with the way things ended up, it was very poorly timed. I think the plan was probably all right, but the plan wasn't followed. But that's another another deal. Let's see, the last one I have here is at Rogue Artificer. Uh, it's great to have Elfavar moving forward, but will these rules be able to work with older cards for Legacy? We are going to uh, update the Oracle uh, as required to make sure these cards, the Legacy cards, do work with the Ivory Edition rules. That will be a fun task, but luckily we have the almighty Brooke, uh, who's actually already gotten started on, on updating some stuff. But he is he is volunteered, and I'll be giving him assistant, and then possibly pulling in other people as we need it to get the Oracle, get the old cards updated for Ivory, undoing a lot of the stuff that we did to update them for Emperor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, moving all the targeting into the cost block, adding performing in where it's supposed to be, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Oops. Yep, that is what it is. Plans change, and you just got to keep going with it. Uh, did get two more questions. Sorry. What sort of official support with big? That's probably someone say will big deck receive? Uh, how will the free Imperial Herald option affect stronghold levels? Does AEG have a plan on advertising to help local store grow the player base? Well, those are certainly a lot of questions that don't really deal with the topic that we're talking about today. We'll get into the the Herald and the the plans of helping local store grow the player base. We do have plans for both of those, but we're just not ready to roll them out yet. Uh, but we'll get into those down the line. Official support with Big Deck. Uh, I mean, Big Deck certainly seemed to get a lot of, uh, seemed to be pretty popular at Gen Con. So if that uh, popularity continues to grow, you know, we're listening to you players. If you players want Big Deck, then, then that's what you will get. And then last question was uh, from Casey Smith. Are we going to get more senseis as the arc progresses, or are we stuck with the ones in the base set? Uh, we talked about that earlier, but yeah, you will. Every expansion is going to see new senseis at a minimum of one per clan. So every expansion will get a new sensei and, and have a new way to build a deck. Which I look forward to. I think it's going to be pretty cool. Okay. The question you wouldn't answer uh, reminded me of another question that also is kind of off topic and you won't want to answer. But there have been a number of, of people who have observed that the quantity of promos, not just alternate art promos, but mechanically distinct promos that are available through things that are not your local store, along with the direct-to-player sets, kind of disincentivizes retailers to be excited about L5R, and people have suggested just switching to alternate arts. Have you guys thought about those concerned, or, or switched to just doing more alternate art or bling promos or anything like that? Certainly the alternate versions are, uh, you know, are retailer friendly, so to speak, or player friendly, pretty much everyone friendly. And um, we, yeah, we have, and I'll be getting a little bit more into this. I've got an article to write on it, but that is, uh, we've been talking about the accessibility. Uh, and some, I've, I've noticed some people have mentioned it. It's like, uh, say, 
they're talking about the accessibility, but they're not even talking about promo. So what's going to be the point? We are getting away from the number of promos we have, potentially all the way down to zero. Uh, that zero mechanically distinct. We're still working out all the plans on what that means, but yeah, we are we are working on getting more to the special version of existing cards as opposed to mechanically distinct new promos. And like I said, if we can get that all the way down to zero, then that actually is our goal. So we are we are well aware that new players and retailers have a tough time and understandably have a tough time with uh, mechanically distinct promos. So that hasn't gone past us, nor has it fallen on deaf ears. Okay. Before I get to the that last 30 seconds of the, the podcast where I just rattle stuff off about us, let's mention something about uh, someone else. If I am not mistaken, the Colot Informat, which is a, Informant, which is a, a website you can catch a link to off of the Strange Assembly website, is launching their own Legend of the Five Rings podcast. And I believe that they're going to be interviewing you for their first episode. Is that right, Brian? Yes, I'm going to be talking to them on Friday. Yep, he's going to be interviewing me on Friday. There you go. So if you like Legend of the Five Rings and you like podcasts, I don't know if their podcast is going to be called The Call-Out Informant, but you can go to their website and I'm sure he'll he'll put something up once he's got that ready to go, so you might want to check it out. And I think our, quote, 40 minutes or so of talking about a subject has gone a little bit past that. So it's, heck, it's probably going to be sometime late next week before you listen to this anyway, guys. Uh, <laughs> we probably spent 40 minutes alone on uh, running over the, the formats. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I think that's going to do it for uh, today. So thank you very much, Brian, for coming on and talking to us again. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. All right. You have been listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are sold. You can visit us at strangeassembly.com or you can follow along and chat with us on Facebook. We were facebook.com slash strangeassembly or at strangeassembly on Twitter. I also would be happy to hear from you directly at chris at strangeassembly.com. Until next time, never stop gaming.